show ladies and gentlemen this is episode number 195 and you are rocking with your host matt labrie right here on the decoding success podcast first and foremost right out of the gate i need to share with you an amazing event that we are hosting in new york city in person on september 1st at 7 p.m to celebrate the 200th episode of this show now with that being said this is a memento a token of our appreciation for every single individual that has listened to the show, shared this show, been on this show, etc, etc. We are going to have an absolutely amazing time networking, food, drinks, music, the whole nine. Going to be an amazing experience. Make sure you check it out. You could do so in the show notes of this episode. All you have to do is swipe up from your screen, not fully, but swipe up and you'll see a little link that says join us in New York City on 9-1 and that is your invitation to join us for such an amazing evening. We would love to see you there. I would personally love to see you there. Super excited to see each and every one of you. We have over 200 tickets sold and we only released this a week ago. Absolutely amazing. With that being said, amazing stuff going on today as always here with our guest Dr. Carolyn Leaf who has spent the last 30 years researching the mind-body connection, nature of mental health, and formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with directed mind input, which is also known as neuroplasticity. Throughout her years of clinical practice, she has helped hundreds of thousands of people learn how to use their mind to detox and grow their brain to succeed in every area of their lives, including school, university, the workplace, relationships, and beyond. She is bringing all of that knowledge, 30 plus years of this knowledge, to the table, to the show here today to help impact you. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you to share this episode once you find this to be of value because we're diving into a whole lot here. Pen and pad might come in handy in this episode as it does for every. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Dr. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here on Decoding Success and to be able to decode your success. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Matt. Of course. Now, first question for you. This is how we kick off every show. Like I said, we're about to hit 200 episodes. I'm curious, how do you personally define success? Success is one of those things that you you can define it from a very neoliberalistic point of view, where it's just about achieving and doing well and getting lots of things. Or you can define it in what I think is a more realistic way. And that is that do you have a sense of inner peace in what you're doing in your life? Are you able to, no matter what you do, do you have a sense of inner peace? And do you feel like you're making the kind of impact that you feel you can? Because deep down inside of us, we all know this, but from the science, we see this, that there's something that you can do that I can't do. And if you are functioning in that mode where where you recognize that in yourself, it brings a tremendous sense of peace. And that I believe is success. So I define success by that versus what I've got or how many likes on Instagram or, you know, the very, the very, very competitive neo, neoliberalistic kind of viewpoint. 
I'm curious. All right. Numerous questions now. Number one, how do you suggest someone shifts out of the materialistic, the vanity of what we could define success as due to society and whatever versus how you defined it as an inner peace? I think that's an excellent question. And it's so important, Matt, because we're sitting in um, we're sitting in an era where mental health has reached a very interesting new level of, of, of in a very, very new problematic level. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, and I talk about this in my book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, prior to the pandemic, we already had um, had a very scary indication that the reverse, that there'd been a reversal of trends of people living longer for years, people have been living longer. But between 90, 1996 and 2014, and then just before the pandemic, it was confirmed as well, there was there was a, an incident of what we call deaths of despair. So people dying between eight to twenty five years younger than they should from preventable lifestyle issues. And this so this began around forty years ago, which is also around about the time that we had Reagan and Thatcher initiating very um, capitalistic, neoliberalistic kind of viewpoints. It's also that we had massive changes in mental health management where there was a new focus on the brain. I mean, I was involved from since I've been involved in this field for 40 years. And back in the in the in the 80s, the brain wasn't seen as something that could change. But the mind and brain was seen as separate. So that was correct. But the, that the brain couldn't change was incorrect. And I did some of the first work in neuroplasticity in the late 80s, early 90s. From, but from the 90s, it was accepted that the brain could change. But then alongside all the sort of competitive capitalism philosophies dominating um, economics, which then dominated environment, we also had a massive influence in um, neuroductionism in terms of the um, um, scientific world. So everything became about the brain. So we also saw a spate of neuroscience in business, business in neuroscience. So everything became about brain, 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 brain. And I'm holding up a, a brain in a skull for those of you that are, are um, listening and not watching. It's not a real brain. And that is, it's, there's good and bad in that. Good in that, yes, the more we learn about the brain, the more we understand ourselves as humans. But bad in that we, we're not just our brain. I mean, the difference between you and I and a dead person is our mind, which is not our brain. So if you're, if you're dead, your brain disintegrates, your body disintegrates. But the fact that we are able to have this conversation is because of our minds. So I define success in that way of, of understanding, um, taking all these advances that we have had in technology and economy and, and science and seeing them in a, in a perspective where we are still enhancing each other, that we're still recognizing the value and identity of who we are as humans, that we recognize that life doesn't just, um, it isn't just one big walk in the park. There's so many curved balls that will happen in adverse circumstances and that that's very normal and that we need to understand that adversity co coexists alongside um, all, the, all the traumas of life and that we have these very normal human reactions which are things like anxiety and depression. And so success would be recognizing that and managing that and managing our minds, which are how we process life and getting to that point of accepting that there's certain things we don't understand and there's certain things that will go wrong, but this is how you can, you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what's happened in you. So that's sort of the, does that, does that answer your question? It's kind of philosophical, but it's, it's a very freeing. If you think deeply about what I'm saying, it's very freeing because what we are just to sort of clarify by May, we are seeing this increase in mental health issues and mental health has been, always been an issue, but if we're seeing this increase, a dramatic increase, 
and it hasn't got better, it's got worse with this philosophy of brain, brain, brain and mental health diagnosis and people being defined as mentally ill, broken brains, neuropsychiatric brain diseases. So taking the normal reactions of life and lumping it into the medical model has created more of a problem than a solution. So we, sh- we should be sitting, if that model worked and if if capitalism in the, the sense that it's been sold to us works and, and, and um, success is just about the external, we should see a lot of happy people, but we've never been so unhappy. We've never been globally. We are sitting with um, major issues across every generation. Gen Z is the most drug generation. The millennials are a very, very, very uh, frustrated and sad generation, and very aware and in tune with 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 what's wrong with um, with with society. Um, baby boomers are dying too, younger than they should. You know, so we've got this weird pattern of advances in technology and medicine, yet people dying younger, eight to twenty five years younger. So I believe we've taken the human narrative out of out of success. We've taken the human experience out of success, and we've made success all about the material. But if you can rebalance that, there's nothing wrong with the material but if that's your if the external is your main objective or definition of success and you can't sleep to get there and you've got to, you know the pressure of getting a degree and being millennials are faced with huge debt from getting degrees and you know because of the way that education changed i mean that that it need to be productive all the time that's incredibly exhausting and it's not realistic and and that's that all of that together is contributing to a tremendous mismanagement of mental health and that's where the work i do comes in where i'm trying to change i'm trying to change it i'm trying to bring another narrative to the story to give people more hope and more focus on how amazing you actually are as a person and what's inside of you yeah no for sure now i'm curious how do you rewire your belief system or rewire your brain per se to shift out of that, right? And, and what I'm getting at here is I understand from a primal perspective, we want to fit in, right? Like we, we Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, and, and that's normal. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious because a lot of it, and listen, I'm 28. I experienced it myself. I, I felt less of or less than because I didn't drive a certain car because I didn't have a certain job, right? I've experienced that. I'm very transparent about that. So I'm curious, how do we rewire our belief system to understand there's more to life than just that? You've raised such a good point. So first of all, when we talk about rewiring, we're talking about neuroplasticity. So the brain, neuro being brain plastic, meaning to change. So from about the mid nineties or late eighties, I did some of the, as I said, some of the earliest research in this, in this area, we saw that the brain can actually change. In fact, your brain's never the same. It's never, ever the same because your, your experiences are always changing. So your mind and you experience life with your mind. So the easiest way to understand this is to define the difference between mind and brain and then understand that impact. And then we can talk about how, how to change that. So before I go into that detail, let's just talk about our belief systems and what we see as, as success or what we see as we should be doing, um, which has come from our environment. So our environment impacts us. We can never divorce ourselves from our environment. And wherever we are in our environment, if it's a chronically stressful, stressful environment, that's going to have a huge impact on, on our belief systems and on our neurophysiology because everything we experience is going to be through our mind stored in our brain and our body, which we'll understand a little better in a moment. So we've got to realize the impact of environment. And a lot of what we see in the problems in the world out there needs to be changed globally on an environmental level. We need to relook at societal 
structures and we all talk about this all the time so this is not something new that I'm that I'm bringing up but it really is we are really a product of our environment but we're not just a product of nurture that environment does wire in our cultural beliefs and religious beliefs and how we look at the world and how we look at ourselves and how we look at other people in different cultures obviously that comes from our environment but there's also our biology aspect the nurture as the nature aspect which is um, the unique makeup that we have that makes us uniquely able to do something that no one else can do or see the world in a unique way but then there's the third factor that people don't really speak about and that's the I factor in other words that's your mind that's so here you are the, bi- the biology of you unique to you here you in X environment but your mind is what makes it all come alive and this is and, and an example of this is people can be in the worst environments take people that are Holocaust survivors or people that have gone through war-torn countries and people that have got through COVID it have been through terrible things through the pandemic and they're still kind of smiling and on their feet that that is the I factor this ability that we have as humans to think and to feel and to choose and to use that thinking feeling and choosing to process the experiences of life and to regulate how we process how we think and feel and choose and based on and obviously it's all influenced by our environment but we can see that for example um, we may have certain belief systems that we've grown up with maybe very strong religious views on 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 gender or something and then we get out there in the world and we realize oh okay this is not really working this is not really real this is not realistic there's different people out there life isn't just about the bubble I grew up in so then we change and we grow so we stand back and we and we and then we in essence are rewiring our belief system but that's driven by the I factor because some people will grow up in that bubble and will stay in that bubble and will say that everyone that doesn't fit in that bubble they're wrong and they and and they become very exclusive and you've got to become like me to be accepted and that kind of thing but what what should and that's that's actually quite toxic because no one's ever the same and no one's ever got it all right and so our, our growth comes from being able to inter, intermix with everyone else and to have different belief systems and so on so all of that being said we we can always change our patterns in our brain we can drive things we can get new knowledge and say okay well i don't think that belief system serves me and it's impacting how i'm functioning as maybe a parent or as a, a in a relationship or at work or whatever and you decide to change that and so you then make a decision to change and then you start getting the knowledge you start learning information and getting the knowledge to change and you shift and that is basically rewiring the brain so rewiring the brain literally is driven by the mind this i factor this ability to think feel and choose so if we then jump into defining the difference it'll, this will become a lot clearer so here's a brain as i said for the viewers i'm holding a listeners i'm holding up a brain and a skull you are not your brain contrary to what we've been led to believe in the media you would think you are your brain because it's all about this is your brain on COVID, this is your brain on on this this is your brain on that addiction is a brain disease mental health depression is a brain disease which is almost like we at the vic- we are victim of, of our biology but that's so contrary to what actually science shows us we're not we're not a victim of our biology we it certainly influences us but that's not where it starts so the brain is part of the physical so if you just look at yourself you've got your skull your brains in your skull and you've got your body and that is a roundabout according to the research i've done and the fields of science that i move in your physical brain and body are about 10 percent of who you are your mind is this aliveness this driving forces i factor this ability to think feel and choose that's the 90 to 99 percent of who you are it's the driving force and it's the difference between 
you and I having this conversation and a dead person who couldn't have a conversation. When you're dead, your brain's doing nothing. Your body's doing nothing. It's disintegrating. But you and I are alive now. So if I had to put on the technology that I use in my in my neuroscience research, uh, QEG, and if you had to put fMRI machines on and EKG on your heart, we would see a lot of activity. We would see because you're alive and because we're talking, we're having a discussion and we're thinking deeply, we would see massive amounts of brain activity and responses in our entire body. But if you put that same equipment on a dead person, we wouldn't see it. So this activity, this action that we see with technology and that we're feeling as a human in our discussions and thinking, that's mind. And mind is this beautiful, powerful driving force that has two elements to it. And the one element is that it's messy because it's experimental, because you and I don't know what's coming up after this podcast. We don't know what's going to be said next, what's going to happen politically, what the next person in your life is going to say. You can guess to a certain extent, but you we still don't know. We can't control the events and circumstances of life. We can't control people. But So the only thing we really have control over is our response. You know, how are we going to respond to those situations? So, and that is mind management. So what we, and so how we respond is mind in action. It's not your brain that's responding. It's, your, it's not your brain that's making you do it. Your mind is the thing experiencing life. And then your mind uses your brain to store that experience in a, as a physical thought tree. It literally looks like a tree. I've got little plants. I'm holding up a little green plant in a pot for the listeners. Um, we literally convert every experience we have through the mind into the brain as thought trees. And then we use the brain and the brain then uh, change, that then changes the DNA inside of our body and all the chemical flow and the electrical, electrical chemical flow. And then that is, then we use all this change in the brain and the body, the thought trees and the changes in our DNA and the changes in our mind to then speak and do. So I'm now speaking about all this brain stuff, but I've spent many years researching the mind and brain, building all these thought trees into my brain. And I'm speaking now from those. So my behaviors, my words, my actions are coming from my stored thoughts inside my brain and my body and my mind. Mm. By the same token, you can have an adverse experience like the experience of the pandemic, which has affected businesses and, and, Ill, and, and physical health and mental health and finances and isolation and kids at home and, and people not being able to touch each other and, and communicate in the way that we as humans need to. That's been a very toxic experience. So then I'm holding up now a wiry looking tree as opposed to a green healthy tree. And the reason I use trees is because this is what thoughts look like in your brain. They physically look like trees. And these thoughts are actually holding the data of our experiences. So in any one day, we are using our minds, this think, feel, choose, I factor, powerful way of experiencing our aliveness to experience the more or less 8,000 to 10,000 experiences that we have on average in a day. So our mind is experiencing them, processing them, putting, pushing them through the brain. The brain then responds because the brain is a very complex neuroplastic responder and it responds incredibly quickly on a neurochemical, electromagnetic and genetic level and quantum level and converts this experience as the energy of the mind literally hits the brain. This whole conversion process happens and this experience becomes a thought tree. And as the experiences continue during the day, we keep adding more branches because each branch is, 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 is memory, it's data. So a thought tree is made of memories. So memory is not the same as a thought. The thought is the whole concept. Like now the conversation is about mind, brain, brain health, whatever you've called it. But everything we're talking about, all, all the things I'm saying, the questions or discussion, those are the root branches. 
everyone's interpretation of what we're saying are the branch branches. So the roots of every thought are what you are experiencing and the branches of every thought, which you build parallel simultaneously as you, as it's, as, as I'm speaking, you are building and your interpretation. So there's the root memories of what I'm saying. And then this is the, these are the branch memories, your interpretation, what you're thinking, feeling, and choosing in your own unique way about what you're hearing. And that's based on these belief systems and these cultural normative, um, these cultural uh, perceptions that we have of what success or what it means to achieve or whatever, um, what you believe about whatever. And those all influence how you see this information that's coming in. So every single person listening now is hearing the same words, same root system, but the interpretations will be radically different and unique based on their unique perception plus their belief systems. So that's kind of the process. So any in order to rewire that, and I'll, I'll just give one statement and then we can unpack and go into the rewiring because it's kind of a whole long thing. Um, but essentially, in order you can rewire this, anything toxic you can rewire. You can turn a healthy thing into a toxic thing, which is not advisable, but it can happen. You can grow something healthy. You can grow something toxic. You can turn something toxic into something healthy. So if you've got a toxic ingrained belief system that is influencing how you're functioning, that maybe came from a um, upbringing where you were constantly told you're useless. So you've had this constant input at the root system from uh, maybe abusive parents and upbringing that uh, you're useless, you can't do anything, everything you do, then your interpretation of yourself is that I'm a failure, I can't achieve, I have to prove myself. And this toxic pattern has never been processed and dealt with. So that's manifesting in the desire to be overproductive to be you know the typical type a personality i'm not saying every type a personality has this at the, at, at the root but that is a very example a, a typical example of someone who's constantly driving because they have to be in control because they have to please people they have to show that they that through external achievement that they are actually valuable um, and that doesn't give anyone any peace and that's not success they may be very financially wealthy and incredibly up, high up in the corporate ladder or whatever it may be uh, but they're not happy they don't have that internal peace and those are the people that we often see dropping dead in their prime having heart attacks committing suicide and that kind of thing because you can't have that kind of cognitive dissonance mm. so these can be rewired but before i go into that i'm sure you want to ask me some questions about the long answer i just gave you <laughs> yeah i definitely have some questions first is i'm curious what are the habits that you've seen through your 40 plus years in the field that have impacted those toxic thought patterns or whatever the case is into the positive ones or into the healthy ones. So what changes from the negative to the positive? What yeah. do, you, do you see a set of habits that are doing that? Is it, is it meditation, is it exercise? Okay. Okay. Not, no, not, not a technique. Techniques are very good. That's an excellent question. Okay. So there's no technique that's going to fix a toxic attitude. So you can't go and do meditation and fix this. You can't go and do 10 positive affirmations and fix this. You can't go and have a gratitude journal and fix this. Those are techniques that are excellent, but if they're used in the wrong place, they won't convert the process. Neuroplasticity or rewiring of the brain has to be directed by your mind. Um, you, uh, anything that you, a meditation technique, etc., used in the wrong way is like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, which is not going to work. Okay, so what we have to do is, first of all, you have to go, the technique is the, is like the last step, it's step five. There's these four steps before that, plus a whole brain preparation, plus a whole attitude shift that has to happen before you can even get to the and get benefits of meditation or the benefits of affirmations and that kind of thing. And this is what most people don't realize. They think, okay, I've got this negative attitude. Um, I've got to achieve, I'm going to whack on 15 positive affirmations 
every single morning when I wake up, cleaning my teeth, doing these positive and trying to convince yourself. But that's the bandaid on the bullet wound. And it'll give you a certain boost because you're saying positive words and it does create a certain positive energy in the brain. But it's because it's actually not what you really believe or you're not, con- you're just trying to convince yourself. It creates cognitive dissonance, dissonance which in itself then creates a, um, a, a kind of negative effect. So it creates brain damage. So it's not going to help you. It's actually going in the long run, it's going to backfire. So what you need to do is recognize why do you need that technique in the first place? Why are you feeling the need to meditate? You've got to start there. And then if you start there, then you start becoming aware, oh, okay, I need to meditate because I'm actually um, in, um, finding that there's this pattern in my life that I'm I'm not sleeping. And I know it sounds cool not to sleep because it means I'm being more productive, which is honored and rewarded, which is the most stupid thing out there. That's part of this, you know, the society that we're living in because without sleep, your brain is going to just not function, nor are you. But there's this thing, oh, I don't need much sleep. I just work all night. That's not something to be rewarded, but that's maybe what you see. You've got this pattern of overworking, total exhaustion and feeling pretty anxious and thinking this patterns in my life now and that's starting to affect the creativity in my work. I'm more, more irritable at work, more irritable in my relationship, something like that. So what you first got to do is say, okay, I'm going to meditate. So why am I going to meditate? I need to look at what are the patterns in my life? What are the patterns and what are their signals? And the patterns are these things like I'm persistently more irritable. There's definitely, or I'm, um, there's anxiety now half a day for seven days of the week. Um, or there is a combination of feeling depressed plus feeling a bit anxious plus feeling getting really worked up about little things all the time. I seem to get so irritated, whatever. I'm just making up something. So first of all, you've got to ask yourself, I feel the need to meditate. I feel the need to do positive affirmations. I feel the need to work out more. Why? And then you say, you you go to the pattern. From the pattern, you then need to go to the signals because all patterns have got signals because all patterns are coming from a toxic thought or a healthy thought. So these obviously produce good patterns and good signals of peace and satisfaction and joy and acceptance. And even 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 within accepting if something bad's happened to you, but there's a level of acceptance because you've changed how it's playing out into you. These don't generate, these generate warning signals of things like anxiety and depression and frustration and irritation and, and the behavior habits withdrawing and more irritable and snapping and arguing and um, hating oneself, perspective of life. Um, changes, uh, physical symptoms in one's body. So I'm, I'm saying a lot now, simplified in a moment, but essentially we've got to go from pattern to warning signals. From warning signals, we then can start becoming a thought. Det- well, all of this is you becoming a thought detective. You asking yourself, you being very curious, you self-regulating. This, this is mind management that I'm describing. So from patterns to signals to then entering the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, which is then goes to your first, second question you ask me, how do you rewire these patterns in the brain? So what I'm describing is how you do it. So you would then go through a process of embracing, processing and reconceptualizing, which is then deconstructing and reconstructing, deconstructing to find out how you think about yourself right down to the root cause and then changing that to make it work for you so that it becomes this healthy green tree and this toxic thought. Look at this little piece. I'm pulling a tiny piece of the green tree out of the green tree. The toxic thought gets reconceptualized into the small little green thing inside how I want to be, how we are my peace, where I'll find that sense of peace and, and happiness internal um, sense of peace and happiness and joy, which enables me to, to co- have the, the joys and the griefs coexisting because it's part of life that I don't beat myself up if I'm sad. It's a normal thing. Why well, don't beat myself up if something bad happens? I'm not going to say bad things always happen to me if I have a broken relationship. You go from saying, 
open relationships always happen to me. It's always like this. And why do, why can't I keep a relationship going? You reconceptualize to the point where you say, no, I'm so dedicated in my relationships that I'm, that I am so that, that I see that differently. I'm so dedicated in my relationships and I'm not finding people that are as dedicated as me. So I'll keep looking. That's a completely different angle to that one, but that takes rewiring of the brain that takes recognizing the pattern to the signals, to the whole deconstruction process, to the reconstruction process, and then stabilizing this so that your behavior actually changes. And that takes at least nine weeks. So, and, and sometimes multiple cycles of nine weeks, depending on the extent and complexity of whatever traumatic event has caused you to react that way. So essentially what I'm saying is that how you show up has got a reason. Everything you do, everything you say, every pattern in your life, which has, is, is manifested in what you say and what you do, is there for a reason. Because you at your core, your identity is wired for love. We see in the, in the neurobiology research that we're wired for love, which means we don't have any structures, any right down to the level of cells and proteins for toxicity. We're wired for love. So our brain and body don't know what to do with these. So the immune system will fight them like it fights COVID because these are as real as COVID. They're also made of proteins. These trees are actually physically made of proteins with vibrations and chemicals. I mean, they're real. They're as real as the COVID virus. So you're, you don't have structures for that. So your whole brain and body is about wired for love. Your mind is wired for love too. It's an optimism bias. So it, in order to survive, we, ha- we are actually love based organisms. It sounds so airy-fairy, but it's not. It's very scientific. We see from quantum physics, we see from physics that you have waves that are balanced that don't cause damage and you have erratic waves that cause damage. If we see someone having an epileptic um, event, we see very damaged waves in the brain. So we know from science that anything that is um, toxic to the brain and the body is moving out of that realm of, of, of comfort and, and of love, et cetera, et cetera, so, and survival. So anything that threatens your survival, like COVID virus or a toxic trauma that's unmanaged, will create these responses in the brain and the body. And that's where cumulatively over time, we get um, we get more vulnerable to various illnesses and cardiac issues. And that's why that statistic I said in the beginning of people dying from preventable lifestyle issues is now so real. Because if you don't manage these cumulatively over time, you keep increasing your vulnerability. And if you don't do anything about these toxic issues and you live in this high rate of so-called productivity, which is highly stressful and you haven't dealt with your traumas and you're trying to prove something and you whatever and you're not managing these things and just go from day to day you eventually create such a weakness in your body every second we make a million new cells a million plus new cells and that ability to make new cells is driven by your mind how can i say that well your mind is your aliveness have you ever seen a dead person make new cells no they die they, their body disintegrates so because you're alive right now you're making millions of cells and the quality of those cells is determining is going to determine the quality of the organs that they make and the systems that they then work together to produce enabling you to be alive so in other words our mind is driving our cellular function and our cellular ability to cells to to replicate themselves and to and to um, to grow to make new cells is based a lot on our um our, the chromosomes the dna the chromosomes chromosomes look like an x if you cross your fingers and that's what a chromosome looks like and the ends of the chromosomes are my fingernails and those are called telomeres and this is just one part of a massive process but this is a simple way of understanding what we're seeing very re- in, in recent research is that and i've done some of this research too is that telomeres are a proxy for your mind and how you're managing your mind so these telomeres are involved in cell division so if i have nice strong nails nice strong 
telomeres, I'm going to have nice, strong cells, which means I'm going to have nice, strong organs, which means my body's going to be healthy and resist illnesses and will fight back from illnesses quicker and that kind of stuff. But if my mind is chaos and a mess and I'm not managing that mess, then that affects that energy causes the telomeres to weaken. And then that means the cells I make are weaker, which means my organs and systems are weaker, which means my vulnerability to disease increases by 35 to 98%, depending on where you are in this accumulation of toxicity. So I saw like, for example, in my clinical trials, we had subjects coming in at the beginning of the study who just identified as depression, as though depression was an it, which it isn't. Depression is not an illness. It's not an it. It's a, it's a symptom that something's going on and their lives are a complete mess. they biological and this was actually a millennial that i'm talking about the biological age which is the age of the cells and the organs was up to 35 years older than the actual age so they were in their 30s but their body was of a 65 year old sickly person and within nine weeks of mind management that completely reversed that the chronological and biological age matched up which is what you want because otherwise you're going to have increased inflammation increased vulnerability wherever there's a genetic weakness in your bloodline that's going to be attacked and over time you just get worse and worse and that's what we see and that's what I was saying in the beginning that this is people are if we don't manage our mind our vulnerability to lifestyle diseases increases and we land up having a heart attack at 35 and you know that's just not need necessary because you it's a lot of that is it's pretty much 90% preventable if not higher if we manage our mind so a current society that's pushing you kids from young at school all the way through into you know the into your sort of age group millennials and and, and beyond is creating chronic environments of stress toxic stress because stress is actually good for you but when it's toxic stress it works against you and so that means that we're getting this pounding of our telomeres and you know then right translating that back up into the into the brain and you've got these toxic thoughts etc so what we have to do is understand this it's all knowledge based it's education and then get the skills to be able to say okay i see my mind is playing up here this is now the pattern this is the signal and get into a process of deconstruction reconstruction so we're all basically experiencing trauma we need to be trauma informed and trauma can be little traumas big traumas complex traumas acute traumas but just like if you have a, if someone says something really nasty to you and it really upsets you, that's a level of trauma. If you're looking after a loved one who's been sick for a long time, that's trauma. If you've been abused, that's extreme trauma. If you have multiple bullying incidents at work, that would be complex trauma and so on. So the trauma is the basically adverse experiences of life, which are inevitable, create a level of a trauma response in us. And this is what it looks like. And so we need to accept that, own that, understand that if you're human, this is part of being a human. You don't, you're not broken and a broken individual. You're wired for love. You're amazing. You're phenomenal. It's something you can do that no one can do, else can do. But life has happened to you. So you've had adverse experiences that have affected how you're functioning and they're not necessarily sustainable. This is not sustainable. It was simply you were trying to cope. You know, this this part here is the coping of the, the branches or the coping of the roots. You know, if you have a toxic abuse and you, you're just trying to cope. Um, the aggression, the behavior patterns, et cetera, those are just coping strategies that aren't who you are. They're just warning signals, your body, mind, and brain screaming out, and you kind of screaming out to the world, hey, I need help. So if we change the whole narrative and stop seeing people as bad people and stop seeing individuals as um, as damaged and rather see individuals as beautiful humans in a very damaging life, in environments that are very adverse and damaging very often, and that that affects the beauty within or this identity in our value system, and it's physically wired in the brain and it manifests. And that's a very normal human response. So depression and anxiety, anxiety is, extreme anxiety has tripled over the pandemic. 
that is very normal response. It doesn't mean that we've got a new virus, mm-hmm. brain disease, we've, you know, we've been, um, anxiety. It just means that people are having very normal responses to very difficult situations. So what do we do about it? We normalize it. We say, it's okay. We own it. We say, I am feeling really anxious. This pandemic has affected me. And then you process it. You reconstruct it. You go through these cycles of, of 63 days, 99 weeks to in, on your own with others. It's good to do it in a group to try and process and, and reconstruct and decide how you're going to move forward, but not try and suppress it. If you've got childhood traumas that and uh, traumas, we, not if we all have traumas, get into a pattern of finding those traumas from the patterns to the signals to the to the root causes and reconstructing them. So in other words, we need to be living lifestyles of mind management. And we can do that every 10 seconds. So you can have an intensive burst. And this is what I recommend to people is that every single day you take 15 to 45 minutes, which may sound like a lot of time. And you can even knock it down to seven minutes where you work on a thought that is a trauma that is affecting. So the pattern in your life to the signals to the trauma, one concept at a time and not a multiple. It was one thought has got lots of branches, lots of memories. So one thought could have thousands of memories, hundreds of memories. So you just want to focus on that for 63 days. And then in addition to dedicating time, and you do this the rest of your life because you've got lots of traumas that you've got to fix and you've got new ones that are coming. So we need to be in lifestyles of managing these traumas because of the events of life. Then as you do this, this automatically has a beautiful carryover effect into the moment by moment. So let's say now you just you intervene me just before this podcast. Let's say that you got an email from someone related to your business and it was really toxic and it really threw you. And I mean, I'm just making this up, okay? But it threw you. And now you've got to, in that few moments, get yourself together to do an interview. And so that's that's that transition isn't that easy because your whole you your guts, you know, you've got heart palpitations, your face has gone red, your body's shaking, um, your your mind's spinning, you're angry, you're mad, whatever. So what are you going to do? You've got neurochemical chaos. You're not going to do a good interview if you're in that state of mind. So you can use the you can use the system I've developed of the neurocycle for the the the, the date you know that's over the sixty three days trauma stuff, and you can also use it in in a few seconds. You can go through the pro. You can calm your brain down using your mind kind of seal it off in a little box, go into your interview unaffected and come out of it and deal with it on the other side. So, and that's mind management. So that's what I've researched, how to do that over 38 years, initially for people with severe trauma, traumatic brain injuries, Alzheimer's, learning disabilities, war trauma, sexual, like severe stuff. And then I adapted it to the day-to-day stuff and have continued to do clinical trials and research, making it very easy and accessible for people. I love that. So I, I need to bring you back on here, Dr. Carolyn. This is incredible. I could ask you a million and one more questions. I know I got to- You're get- asking great questions too. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I have so many seriously, but I want to make sure that we're talking about the new book you released this year, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientific Steps, I believe it is, right? I'm curious. Yes. Um, first question is, what is a mental mess first and foremost? What is that? Okay, so coming back to everything we've said, the mental mess is that, uh, as I said in the beginning, we've got two elements of our, of our mind. We've got our messy mind, that's the experimental mind that's going through these eight to 10,000 events that we're building during the day. We don't know what's coming up. We can't control events and circumstances. That's all the messiness of life. And it's totally normal because we actually like, we've got to think of ourselves as little scientists, all of us, every human is a scientist. And we hypothesizing all the time, like you're hypothesizing what kind of question to ask next, how to handle that that email, how do you, everything is uh, is um, done as an experimental thing. And sometimes you'll react correctly and you'll say the right thing, do the right thing, write the right thing, 
just handle things correctly. And sometimes it, you won't. Sometimes you'll be overreactive, irritable, whatever. And that's very much the human mental mess. It's very, very normal. It's all part of experimenting. In the mess, when we manage it, we then repair it and we grow. So we, as humans, are designed to be messy because that's part of the beauty of experimentation. It's part of the beauty of, 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 of our brilliant nature of experimentation, of learning. You don't know everything, so you're going to make mistakes along the way. But what we tend to do in this very productivity-driven era we now and in prior eras, they had every era has their own issues that that make people think in a crazy way and make the mess worse. Um, it's just you know it's just the nature of humanity. Um, so it's a phase as we go through. So the messy mind needs to be managed. And if and it's easy to explain in our current era because I'll be very driven by productivity, by competition, by um, these you know these sort of the survival of the fittest. Um, this this you know you've got to have external everything to be valued. So you are kind of valued based on what you can produce you know even down to the point where you know they, they don't people's job turnover is very high and that kind of thing which keeps the economy thriving because they can pay less salaries so companies make more money and you know so everyone's aware of this so this is a very chronically stressed environment that people are in and um, essentially what that does is that is messy thank you so that is very can be very very messy but if we manage that with our wise mind and that's the other element we've got our wise mind our wise mind is our ability to stand back and say okay i've had this email it's thrown me off i'm as mad as hell they're totally wrong i can't handle it now i've got to go do this interview i'm going to handle this later and you go through a little process of you know you, you, you can use a neurocycle to do that um, and i'll explain that in a moment then you are managing that mess and then you can go into that 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 um, interview and do that interview and, and move forward um, as you so managing the mental mess is taking these traumas and working on them consistently daily. Managing your mental mess is using your wise mind, which all of us have. It's at the core of who we are. It's this conversation we're using our wise mind. When someone comes and tells you a problem and you give them advice, that's your wise mind. Even kids have got wise minds. Young, all of us have it. You'll see children helping other children. When you're helping someone, when you're reaching out in love, that is all wise mind. It all moves towards the greater good. It moves towards healing and health and survival and all that kind of stuff. So we we can do this every 10 seconds. Neuroscience shows us that we are able to stand back and observe ourselves every 10 seconds. We've got this, um, the psychoneurobiological research, which is my field, shows us that we can stand back and observe our own thinking, feeling, and choosing every 10 seconds. So that doesn't mean that I sit with my watch and I check my watch out every 10 seconds. It means that I basically live a very aware lifestyle. I'm very aware of how I'm speaking to you, the impact of my words on you, the impact of my words on conversations with my, 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 my research team, because I run clinical trials, and my business team that helps me run my business, and my kids I have four kids I have a husband of 34 years and you know and I have friends and so I monitor and monitor my reactions and over time I've trained myself to manage my mind to the point where I'm 80% of my day I can manage I can I'm 80% more effective in catching myself if I get too irritated or if I'm getting a bit depressed or if I've woken up complaining which does terrible damage to your brain for the day and so that's the messy the messy mind is what everyone has it's totally normal it's totally okay accept it welcome it but manage it because if you don't manage it 
the messiness accumulates. Like if you don't clean your teeth or if you don't clean your house or if you don't sort out your problems in your business, it, it accumulates and it becomes a disaster. So your mind is this aliveness. It's always working. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but you can't even go three seconds without your mind working. So you go to, you wake up with your mind, you go to sleep with your mind, you dream with your mind, you eat with your mind, you work out with your mind, you have relationships with your mind. Your mind never stops. So my argument with the messy mind, wise mind, mind management concept is that if your mind never stops ever, even when you're asleep, and I explain all this in the book too, you then, why don't you manage it? Because you actually can. It just requires training. It requires us to be self-regulated. And that's what mind management is. It's self-regulating how you are functioning in the day-to-day moment. It doesn't replace the therapy, the coaching, the counseling, the friendships. You need all of that. That's all. It enhances that. So that brings us full circle back to meditation and deep breathing and affirmations. Where do they fit in? I've developed a system called the NeuroCycle, which I explain in the second half of this book, which is based over 38 years of research, initially in a very clinical sense and then applied in a very general sense as well. And it's a system of how you can use your mind to direct the neuroplasticity of your brain. In other words, to rewire your brain, which is your second was your second question. So how do you rewire your brain? I've developed a system that's not a technique. You can put any technique you want into that. You can put the meditation, the breathing. And in fact, I have an app called the NeuroCycle app that you can get on iTunes and Google Play that goes alongside the book where I walk you through this process. So the two together work really well to help you manage your mind. And essentially, um, you're going to, the NeuroCycle is how you use your mind to rewire your brain. So it's like a system. It's literally like Amazon's an efficient system for delivering anything, anywhere, anytime. The NeuroCycle is the most efficient system that I'm aware of at this current stage was based on all the brain research of when you do this, you when you do this, in other words, when you with your mind, use your wise mind, you go through these five steps, you're managing your messy mind and you're changing what's in you. You're changing the wiring in you. You're changing the DNA that response and you're changing your mind response because every experience is stored not just in the brain as trees, but also in your DNA and in the waves of the gravitational fields of your mind. And I didn't go into, I mean, I go into that in the book, but I didn't go into that too much now. So you, it's a holistic experience. So it's basically five as five-step process and things like meditation, affirmations. Meditation would come in the preparation of the brain. Meditation is a preparation phase where it helps to calm down the neurochemical chaos and it helps to get increased alpha activity in the brain, which helps you to connect the conscious mind with the non-conscious mind and then therefore get more introspective. So it's excellent for bringing, making you more aware. But meditation alone can cause a lot of damage because if you bring things up but you don't manage them, you'll get worse. And I show that in my research too, awareness without mind management will actually create more problems. Your your anxiety, et cetera, will increase and your vulnerability to disease will increase. So meditation, breathing um, would fall under that category. And in my app, I have a three minute preparation every day that you do and different kinds that you do before you dive into the five steps. Then you move into um, the five steps. Now, uh, affirmations and gratitude statements and that kind of stuff would be at step number five. So you can see already there's brain preparation and these five steps before you have four steps before you dive into technique. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff going on that you're doing with your brain and um, you, with your mind to your brain and your body with, with the system. Also the whole attitude and philosophy coming into this is that one of acceptance. It's okay to be a mess. Depression and anxiety are not illnesses. 
I'm not a broken person. I'm amazing. This has happened to me. Sure, I may be guilty of of being nasty and unkind and whatever, but that's okay. I'm going to fix this. I'm not going to go into condemnation and then get more nasty, which is what happens. We condemn ourselves and feel guilty and then we get more not whatever. You, you stop that cycle. You stop that bus and you actually get very accepting, very kind, immerse yourself in kindness, and then you dive in and you and you start the process of of using the five steps daily for 15 to 45 minutes. And that's the the that then, as I said, carries over into the day-to-day stuff. So in the book, I've got examples of how to use it for detoxing trauma over the cycles of, of 63 days. And then I've shown examples of how to break toxic habits and how to build good habits, how to build your brain, and also how to use it in the day-to-day moment. Same thing on the app. I have like little, I have the full 63 day thing that I work work you through, generic one that you can add your stuff into. And then I have little mini neurocycles that, uh, for example, if you're having a panic attack, you can just press that one five minutes later, I've walked you through the panic attack using the neurocycle. So as you use each step with the neurocycle, you are driving um, in, uh, your brain in, the, in a very healthy direction where it's more resilient, where the 200 different structures of your brain uh, to organization of your brain, that specializations of your brain that make you unique are working at their prime, that the two sides are balanced, that you've got the right delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma flow, that you've got enough oxygen and blood flow, that you that, they, that, that different parts of the brain are working more and more in a more and more coordinated way um, that then influences the bodily function and the hormone system and the cardiac and everything feeding back and the gut and the gut. So it's actually driving how the neurophysiology is working to make you in your best state and keep you in that why state so that you can deal with these toxic things so we it changes you to shift you into the wise state to deal with the toxic state if that makes sense yeah it definitely does now dr carol caroline i absolutely love this i know i gotta let you go i we went over time i want to make sure i'm responding. no problem absolutely amazing i'm going to make sure that the link to where people can get the book is in the show notes where they can get the app is in the show notes your social website all of that good stuff fantastic express my gratitude for you hopping on here again i absolutely love it. i need to bring you back i have so many more questions great love to do that i, I also have a i also have a podcast called cleaning up your mental mess the same name as the as the book and there's tons of information on there as well that can help people awesome we'll link that as well i appreciate it thank you so much thank you it's great talking to you And there it is, episode number 195 with Dr. Carolyn Leaf, right here on the Decoding Success Podcast is officially in the books. First and foremost, make sure you are sharing this episode. Amplify Dr. Carolyn's message. It deserves to be, which is exactly why we hosted her here, because we know how much of an impact her message, her word, her insights, her research, her findings, all of that good stuff can have on individuals, which if you're still listening to it at this point, I know it has impacted you. So make sure you're sharing it whether it's on social, whether it's on group chats or wherever the case is, you know that we definitely appreciate that. Make sure you're also connecting with Dr. Carolyn on social, her website, all of that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. As mentioned, New York City, 9-1, September 1, 7 p.m. We are throwing a celebratory mixer networking event, whatever you want to call it. We're going to have an absolute blast. Make sure you check that out in the show notes of this episode. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And until next time, everyone, be Be blessed. Peace.